Ladies and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric. It's a pleasure to welcome you aboard to another episode. Of course, if you listen to that intro, you would know that this week's episode revolves around a SpongeBob video game, but I promise this part of the podcast is going to be evolving ever so slightly as we continue our sail through the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Because, let's face it, people, we, we are rapidly coming close to not only the end of the third season, but also the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which is a big event. Not only a big event for the franchise, but then also a big event for this podcast, and I will try my best to make it as special as possible. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to take another quick detour onto another SpongeBob SquarePants video game. And as these video games evolve from one onto another, these uh, versions of the podcast are going to evolve from one episode to another. Um, I, I always think about this podcast a lot. I mean, this is... Uh, essentially a, a, a canvas for me to paint on week after week as a as an artist of sorts. I mean, if that sounds pompous, it's the only way I can really explain it. But as I keep coming back to this canvas and I'm, I'm going, hey, I'm, I'm painting another one of these, I, I want to uh, tweak uh, the content a little bit and change things up and keep things fresh, not only for myself, but for you guys as well. Uh, one idea I eventually am going to um, sit down and get through is I, I do plan on properly reviewing every single Nickelodeon video game. And if I'm going to do an endeavor like that, I can't just keep pointing to these podcast episodes as like, this is my review of, of each and every SpongeBob video game. So to, you know, keep those series separate, when it comes to the these episodes of the podcast, when it involves a SpongeBob video game, it's going to be more of just a personal talk uh, over my experience of it, not necessarily a review where I've done in the past where I played the game and then I come here for you guys and list out, you know, each of the levels and go through. Um, there's a lot more to talk about with this game uh, around the gameplay and around the meat of it, almost the preparation of the main course that I'd want to talk about here. So this is almost just going to be companion pieces to reviews down the road or you know eventual so one day down in captain eric's career there will be a video review of spongebob squarepants revenge of the flying dutchman which will go more bit by bit of of the game itself but th this has got to be a little bit more of a, a personal experience to just even be more in line with how the rest of the episodes are so um we're going over the very first 3D SpongeBob platformer released on consoles. And for me, this was a big deal because this was the very first time I got to play a SpongeBob game on a home console. I didn't own a PlayStation at the time of Super Sponge and Nicktoons Racing. Uh, those I ended up ob obtaining later in life. So this was my very first SpongeBob video game being able to sit on a couch and, and play from a TV. I, I think I owned Operation Krabby Patty before this. Um, and I th I think even Nicktoons Racing on the PC I owned before. So I think I had uh, a virtual experience of SpongeBob before Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. But but still, for me, this was uh, a, a big deal to get. And um, I've noticed over time that the opinion of this game has taken a downward turn. Um, 
not only after the release of Battle for Bikini Bottom, but then the release of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game just helped, you know, further cement Revenge of the Flying Dutchman down further and further of of the talking point when it came to SpongeBob video games. And and now in 2022, it's it's hard to find somebody who has a really positive experience of SpongeBob SquarePants Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Well, I'm I'm gonna try to give you that positive experience, uh, at least through the eyes of a, a young 11-year-old Captain Eric, but um, I, I did re-experience this game recently, and, and my opinion on it has changed slightly, but I, I do think that this game gets a bit more of a hard rap than it really deserves. And this is a ambitious effort because this is the first time we're not only getting a 3D SpongeBob, you know, platform game like this, but they're mapping out, you know, parts of Bikini Bottom we've never seen before, at this level and it's being done for the very first time so there's a lot on the table here and there's a lot of effort that has to go to not only making a comparable game but to then also try to capture somewhat of the experience of the show because that's I mean what you're looking for in a video game the the show but in a playable form and this game is certainly more than playable it was developed for the PlayStation 2 and the Nintendo GameCube by Big Sky Interactive while the Game Boy Advanced version was developed by Vicarious Visions, the classic Vicarious Visions there. The game was published by THQ, and man, I went down the list of THQ games today, and I was just taken aback by by the long and historic history between Nickelodeon and THQ. In fact, I believe that this year is 30 years of Nickelodeon and THQ working with one another with the release of the very first game, the Ren and Stimpy Show Space Cadet Adventures for the Nintendo Game Boy in 1992. I don't know if anyone has brought this up, but as soon as this episode is published, I'm going to start a little uh, little campaign on, on Twitter just to, to celebrate. I mean, this is a big deal because they, they helped publish or had a deal in working with all the Ren and Stimpy Show video games, going through most of the Rugrats video games, onto then the, the big... Silver Age here of Nickelodeon games with SpongeBob, Jimmy Neutron, the Fairly Odd Parents, uh, all in the early 2000s. It was a great release time for THQ. They had a wonderful relationship with with Nickelodeon. So uh, I believe that this is 30 years. So happy 30 years to THQ and Nickelodeon. And um, head over to Twitter and use the hashtag uh, NickThQ30. And, and wish them a happy 30th anniversary of, of collaborations with one another. Let's let's at least get this circulating, because I, I don't think anyone is talking about this. I, I've not come across any publications or anything at all, so if if this is it, it it's at least something big to celebrate, because then that, that puts a lot on uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, the Cosmic Shake, as being a, kind of the 30th anniversary release between these these two companies. Not, uh, not that that has to weigh on that game that much, but... Onto the credits for the game. This this game, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, was directed by Vaskin N. Sire, produced by Billy Joe Kane, and designed by Vaskin N. Sire and Jeremy Armston. It was programmed by Mike Bowman, Waylon Calabrese, Paul Hyman, and Jim McHugh. The artists are Matt Scabilia and Grant Pimbler, and our composer is George Oldsey. And now that is the list of credits for the home console version. 
and the credits for the GBA version is our director, Jonathan Russell, our producer, Di Davies, our designer, Jonathan Russell, and the composer, Martin Schuler. So, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, what happens in this game? Well, you know what? I have to give credit where credit's due on the presentation for this game alone. All hands are on deck for the voice cast for this game. Now, in the year 2022, that might not sound out of the ordinary because we usually get most of the voice cast of SpongeBob SquarePants to voice in the video games. But for the longest time, it's been the hardest to find Clancy Brown's Mr. Krabs in a SpongeBob video game. And you honestly don't have to look any further than Revenge of the Flying Dutchman because they were able to get Clancy Brown to come in and voice the character, and we get a decent amount of Mr. Krabs in this video game. It really helps the presentation alone, because in all of these other SpongeBob video games, we, we get comparable voice acting to Mr. Krabs, but, you know, you can always tell when it's not Clancy Brown. No offense to any of the other Mr. Krabs' voice actors out there in the world. Certainly no offense, but just in terms of, of the overall world building here and making you believe you're a part of Bikini Bottom, it helps to just hear that exact voice come out coming out of that character. Not only that, but you might recognize a certain name in the title of this video game being the Flying Dutchman. And yes, that means that we get Brian Doyle Murray on deck voicing the character all throughout the video game from the beginning all the way through the end, and and they don't waste his time at all. They knew they had precious time with Brian and, and used it to its fullest because alone the voice acting in this game is worth the price of admission for me. I gotta be honest with you. That and then going through the very early 3D world of Bikini Bottom, it's certainly not the, the best rendition of it, but you got to remember, everybody, this is the first. This is the first time a group of people had to sit down and construct SpongeBob's pineapple and what that would look like through the doors and, and where you would go into each room, Squidward's house, how it would look outside and, and in, inside the Krusty Krab from a 3D perspective. This is a big deal here, and it was certainly a part of my enjoyment as a kid playing this which I was, as mentioned, uh, 11 years old when this game came out on December 18th, 2002 for the Nintendo GameCube. It was released a, a while earlier uh, on the PlayStation 2 on November 21st, 2002, and the Game Boy version was released first on September 10th, 2002. These are all the North American dates, by the way. But since this release was so close to Christmas, I can all but guarantee... I had asked for this game on my list from Santa and had received it either from Santa or from my mother, who um, turns out <laughs> one and the same, I guess, this entire time, huh? Wow. Crazy. The, the more you know. Uh, but I, I more than likely received this game on December 25th, 2002, and I, I you know what, at this time, you got to remember, in the early 2000s, I, I hate to be like one of those uh, back-in-my-day people, but I, I got to paint this picture for you in, in an audio form um, so that it makes more sense maybe where my positive outlook of this game may come from. My mother at this time was running a post office, a, a single-person, small-town post office that was quite a ways away. I think it was like an hour to an hour and a half away from our home. So on Saturdays, if I wasn't going to work with her 
for her like six or seven hours that she had to be there on a Saturday. I think maybe Saturdays for her might have been a bit shorter. But if I went with her, I brought my GameCube with me. And there was a TV in the back of the post office that I would I would hook that up to. So if I wasn't going to work with her, then I was staying at my grandmother's because I was too young at the time to stay home alone. And if I was going to my grandmother's, well, I was bringing my GameCube with me because she had a TV in the back room I could hook it up to. So um, Saturdays were, if I wasn't hanging out outside, if it was just too hot, I was inside at the TV playing GameCube games. And, you know, I, I wasn't bringing my entire collection with me. So there was more than likely a few Saturdays where I only may have brought one or two games, one of them being SpongeBob SquarePants Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. And given the structure of this game and, and its desire for you to, to pretty much comb every part of each level with each costume and each ability, it's one of those games that when there's nothing else to do and there's no internet, there's no YouTube to just dive into, you, you kind of just fall into the world and time kind of fades away and you lose yourself. Um, I do have fond memories of playing this game and I enjoyed beating it, 100% completing it from beginning to end. Um, it, it felt like an accomplishment for me and especially because I was a big SpongeBob fan, I, I enjoyed it. I, I had a great time. What's weird is you would think, well... If you liked Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, you you better wait till you see what's next. Battle for Bikini Bottom, for some reason, I didn't own for a long time. Um, I rented it when it first came out, and I, I did enjoy what I played of Battle for Bikini Bottom, and I, I can't really tell you why I didn't own it right away. I can I can say I might have asked my mom, but, you know, we weren't really the, the most well-off family in town, so... Video games were, were, you know, were reserved for special occasions, holidays, or if I, you know, really excelled at something at school. It was a nice incentive. So all in all, it was a, it was a bit of a rarity for me to just get a video game out of the blue. So I may have asked, but I may have been turned down. At this moment in time, I was more or less at a, a renting phase where a lot of my video games had to come from from Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, or, or any of the other uh, places around town. Um, so what ended up happening was I owned the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game before I owned Battle for Bikini Bottom. So I got to experience the, the beauty of Heavy Iron Studios before I then got to dive into Battle for Bikini Bottom. But even when I experienced those games, I still had a fond memory and appreciation for Revenge of the Flying Dutchman that I just never really felt from anyone else. There there wasn't anyone else that I, I've met in life that f had the same experience as me with that video game. If anyone did, they just they had negative things to say about it. Now, I know there's probably many of you out there who like this video game or love this video game, um, but I, I do understand the negative experiences that can be found with a game like this because... During my uh, my playthrough, uh, twenty years later, I, uh, I I gotta say I I connected it to another video game that that kind of I that's where it made me understand the sourness from from everyone else. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. At the start of this game, SpongeBob starts a game of fetch with Gary. Gets him a stick, throws the stick off camera, and Gary hysterically brings over a giant treasure chest that he seemingly found in some 
area off screen. You're not really told where, but it's pretty funny. It is actually kind of a, a joke you, you would see in the show. So right off the bat, I, I got to say the experience is, is a thumbs up for me. I, I will say, though, the one jarring thing I might have not noticed as a kid as much is uh, the eye animations on a lot of these characters are distractingly off. Um, I, I think they just could have been tightened up a little bit. And that's why I honestly think a remaster of this game would send the, the general consensus in a more positive light because the voice acting is great. The world, for the most part, is beautiful. It's just a nice little remaster. Get those eye animations down and, and everything is just going to be smooth as butter. Uh, but they play a game of fetch. Gary brings over a treasure chest. SpongeBob opens it up. It sends out a whole bunch of doubloons, apparently, all over Bikini Bottom and these seven other worlds. And um, once he gets inside the treasure chest, ends up finding a bottle. When he opens the bottle, unleashes the Flying Dutchman in seemingly his very first appearance in Bikini Bottom, which doesn't make sense because the Flying Dutchman appeared all the way back in SpongeBob Scaredy Pants, and that appeared to be his, like, very first appearance, but they allude to, to this kind of uh, being the unleashing of the Flying Dutchman onto the world. Like, no one is used to the Flying Dutchman here in this game. So he's unleashed by, uh, by SpongeBob, and makes the decree that whoever uh, unleashed him would then have to join his crew for Infinity. Now, SpongeBob makes the—it it was a really weird writing choice here of SpongeBob going, well, well, I didn't find you. Like, technically, that's Gary. Like, he found your, your treasure chest. He throws Gary under the bus, seemingly, to this ghost. Um, very poor choice of words because the Dutchman, like, agrees with him, goes, okay, fine, I'll take your snail— um, he doesn't take him instantly. He's like, I'll, I'll come back later. I got to do some things, but yeah, I'm going to take your snail to be on my crew. Uh, at this point, SpongeBob leaves his pineapple and you're on to the first level, which is essentially bikini bottom, but bikini bottom in a, in a bean shape, like the road is, is just this giant bean with two parts. There's two halves to this. The first half has SpongeBob's pineapple, Squidward's house, and Patrick's uh, Rock. This is Conch Street, but Conch Street is one road with two bus stops that bring you to, to two separate levels. Now, if I'm going to complain about two things in this game other than the eye animations, the second one would just be the, the lack of creativity in the, the transferring from level to level here. The bus system is smart, but I wish it was just one bus stop, and, you know, if you want to have one on the other side, fine. But they have four total, four bus stops, two on each side, and each one brings you to a completely separate level. I don't know, it'd just be weird, you just have one, and then have a selection of the bus coming up, and have a selection. If it's always going to be a bus that brings you to these levels, then it shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for there to just only be one bus stop. Or, if you're only going to have one... Put it on the on the food district side because when you get to the other side, like I said, you follow the road around and you eventually have to load to the other side, which brings you to the Krusty Krab, a few little buildings and whatnot, and then, of course, the Chum Bucket across the street. Now, this is the first time a lot of these buildings and these areas are being shown in 3D, and instead of having these invisible walls that just show you this open ocean, they, they have these giant rock enclosures around the entire area, which, you know what? 
I, I really like. I, I like the first level for the most part. There's certain little nitpicky things like the bus stop thing I would really throw like as in a nitpick pile. Like it really isn't anything that I would say is is distracting from my all, overall enjoyment of the game. But uh, uh, it's it's a nice rendition of Bikini Bottom. What you end up finding out through these first few levels here is the overall structure of the game, which is that in all of these levels, there is a treasure to be found of the Flying Dutchman. This treasure ends up being a personal artifact of the Dutchman, something of his own possession. And by collecting all seven of these, you will somehow become immune to the Flying Dutchman's curse. This is all learned by a book that Squidward owns called How to Defeat evil spirits it's actually pretty handy that squidward has that uh so in each of these levels there's a treasure and how you get to this treasure is you have to collect uh nine letters nine letters that spell out spongebob and each of these letters are attached to a different task that you have to do um very much akin to super mario 64 how every level in that game has a handful of objectives um, but you don't have to, like, select one and go in and out of the level. You can go to the level and you can get these uh, letters to your heart's content, but some of them are locked behind certain abilities that you gain by wearing different costumes, which you obtain throughout your playthrough of the game and then can be changed in and out of through various uh, changing stations in each of the levels. There's only about three costumes, to, to be fair, there is the jellyfishing costume, which adds uh, SpongeBob's glasses and gives him a jellyfishing net. There is SpongeBob's reef blower costume, which gives him his classic reef blower. And then there is his mermaid band costume, my preferred costume of the game when I was a kid. But I honestly can't say that as an adult, and I'll get to that in a second. Each of these costumes have different abilities that SpongeBob can't do as his flat-out base character. And it might be... Um, a water projectile when he's Mermaid Man, or then in the advent of the jellyfish net, the ability to hang onto hooks and then giving him an extra bit of glide from his double jump. All of these abilities are nice additions to the game and can really change it up. The costumes are nice, but having to constantly backtrack through levels to find these changing stations when you, you find yourself in an area where you need one costume... And here's the comparison I mentioned earlier to a to a game. It really reminded me of Donkey Kong 64. Now, if you don't know Donkey Kong 64 and you've never played it, well, it's it's a really good 3D platforming game by Rareware for the Nintendo 64. I guess at the time they were just called Rare. Um, but it's one of their like biggest platforming games for Nintendo. But the biggest Achilles heel for that game is the fact that there are so many collectibles locked behind separate characters. And the only way to change into characters are by predetermined barrels that you have to find in the levels. And you could be deep into one level and be Diddy Kong who collects everything that's red, red bananas and, and red files and... Um, come across a line of blue bananas and even though you're here and you're nowhere near a, a character barrel you now have to go back and find another monkey and get back to the bananas and it's just a pain and, and I found a, a little bit of those comparisons here and it didn't help that in between these levels there's almost like a Banjo-Kazooie style puzzle system in unlocking the new level that 
isn't one-to-one Banjo-Kazooie, but it's just one of those sliding, you know, puzzles that being in a 3D platformer just was like, boom, all this kind of reminds me of Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, well, the other stuff reminded me of Donkey Kong 64. And I'm not saying that Big Sky Interactive or anyone who worked on it were were inspired by those games one-to-one, um, but, but certainly I imagine that making a 3D platforming game, you have to be a fan of one, and, and being a fan you got to include a rare game in there. They they make some of the greatest 2D and 3D platformers of all time. Um so I like the costumes the, the are they're great. The the abilities in them are great and the the one thing though that I got to say that I I don't remember having an opinion on as a kid but as an adult I just flat out did not enjoy is that the music of this game as great as it is all of the the just vibe is spongebob the feeling is there there is separate music tracks for each of the costumes i don't necessarily like that because i really found myself um wanting to almost mute the tv at some points when i was just forced to listen to a song over and over again and what really would have been cool is if they had a generic music track for each of the levels you know, like the city, there's like a downtown level, so you have a downtown city music track, and that track subtly changes depending on the costume, you know, so then Mermaid Man is brought in, and then it's more hard rock, and then when Jellyfishing is in, you bring more of that ukulele, but then it's the same song of the city, or vice versa, going from level to level. Uh, at some point, I music-wise, I, I as much as I loved it, um, uh, George... Old Z, like, like you nailed the feeling of SpongeBob, but I just think, like, overall, it's, you know, it, it was more or less having to backtrack and change out of the costumes, where if it was on the fly and you learned these abilities as, uh, as the game progressed, I think things would have been a little bit more streamlined, and, and even the backtracking wouldn't feel as tedious. You know, in games like Banjo-Kazooie, uh, bringing that up again, there are levels where they'll let you see Jiggies, which are the the MacGuffins of the game that you got to get, but they'll let you see some that are clearly unattainable at the moment. Like they like you don't have the ability to get that, but it's just like oh I know that's there, and you put that in the back of your brain, and you continue moving forward and playing the game. Eventually, you're gonna get an ability that is gonna make you put two and two together and go oh wait I can now achieve that thing. And you go back to the level and, and go get it. There's a sense of pride in that that I just feel is lacking here because, you know, it's it's nice to have the abilities, but then to constantly, the like, the backtracking isn't even to go back to use those abilities. It's like, oh, I just don't have the right costume. Let me, hold on, let me go back to that porta potty I'll be back in, like, 10 minutes, 15 if I fall off again. And that's where I, I think a little bit of the... Uh, the enjoyment fell off for me from the game. Now, while SpongeBob is is running through Bikini Bottom, going through downtown, delivering Krabby Patties for Mr. Krabs, the Flying Dutchman is is aiming on his promise to take Gary a part of his crew and, and does so. He brings Gary aboard. He hypnotizes him and brings him aboard the crew. And apparently, Gary's uh, work ethic is, is so good that the Flying Dutchman decides, well, I'm just going to go and kidnap pretty much everyone else that you're connected with in Bikini Bottom. And one by one, he starts kidnapping all of SpongeBob's friends 
almost after they're done interacting with him or assisting him. I mean, SpongeBob's helping Sandy at her tree dome. He's helping Patrick all over the place. He's helping Plankton in his new amusement park, Chum World, which was really funny to see. Uh, Larry the Lobster is in this game. And, and all of these characters are taken in by the Flying Dutchman as he's hypnotizing them. Now, by the end, though, SpongeBob gains all of the Flying Dutchman's treasures and gains enough courage to just go right to the Flying Dutchman's ship to save all of his friends, uh, but ends up finding out that the book he got all of the information from, the How to Defeat Evil Spirits book from Squidward, ended up being the uh, previous year's edition and is not currently up to date. And the information in the current book says that SpongeBob is mostly immune to the Dutchman, which is, is pretty good. It gives SpongeBob at least a fighting chance, although it also gives the Dutchman the opportunity to take control of SpongeBob. But of course, SpongeBob ends up defeating the Dutchman in the end and capturing him back in the bottle, which then I then got to imagine that bottle gets reopened somewhere with the Dutchman then appearing and in SpongeBob's scaredy pants, or or I don't know, this game doesn't have to be canon. I don't have to try to fit it in the canon. If I tried to, it would just be for fun. But uh, nonetheless, as far as the Game Boy Advance version is concerned, if you have ever played a Vicarious Visions platforming game for the GBA, then you kind of know the experience you're in for, especially for SpongeBob SquarePants. I gotta say, I, I really enjoyed the Game Boy Advance version here. It was just a really enjoyable 2D platformer, and the consensus across the board seems to prefer the GBA version other than GameZone. It, it seems to be the only publication that, um, between the two versions, home console and handheld, has a preference for the home console version. Across the board, I think everybody just kind of agreed that this was a, a mediocre-ish platforming game, but I, I just think that is a bit unfair. There was a lot for these developers to to deal with in the time that they had to develop this game and i know that that's not an excuse for the final product but please keep in mind those working on this game were doing something that really hadn't been done before and it's very easy for those to come afterwards and and improve on what's previously been done and for us to go okay yep that's an improvement let's let's move on but you know i i do think for for historical sake we have to appreciate this game a little bit more than it's currently at in our society. It's not a bad platforming game. It is a little repetitive here and there, sure, but I would recommend this if you are a fan of SpongeBob SquarePants. If you're a fan and you have a GameCube or a Wii available, get yourself a copy of Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. As far as I know, I don't think it is that expensive of a game. It's certainly not anywhere near the prices of Battle for Bikini Bottom on the GameCube, so it'll it'll be a much easier purchase. Uh, I know the loading times of this game is one of the biggest contentions that were brought up, uh, but it's it's loading. I, I, I as far as I'm concerned, I usually am, am pretty uh, patient when it comes to loading screens these days, simply because I have a phone right next to me. Uh, I'm you know if they're that long, I mean I'm I'm able to quickly dive into something that grabs my attention. I, I don't really feel that that boredom. Uh, but during my playthrough of this, I, I didn't really find the loading screens to be that annoying, at least compared to, to some other games uh, I'm not going to mention that have some some pretty horrendous loading times that have annoyed me far worse than this did. Uh, but if you've never played this, I do think it's an enjoyable experience. I think the voice acting, the look of the game, the the design of the levels, all of which 
uh, are just wonderful to explore. I, I enjoyed my time in Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Maybe not as much as I did when I was younger, um, but I, I still got to say, I, I enjoyed what I saw. I enjoyed what I played. Is it the greatest? No. Does it have to be? Does it have to be compared to every other SpongeBob platformer? No. I, I Just on its own, I enjoy Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Uh, I will properly dive into this again with full playthroughs um, of both the home console and GBA versions when the time does come. Uh, and in the meantime, we are returning to Season 3 of SpongeBob SquarePants for next week's episode. That is Krabby Land, uh, one of one of the highlights for me of Season 3 and, and the first half of, of one of the greatest half hours of SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, that's really exciting. Now, originally, after those two, I then was going to dive into Battle for Bikini Bottom, but I, I might just juggle that between a few of the last episodes of Season 3, uh, because then we have the Season 3 ranking. We'll do some of the, the later PC games of SpongeBob SquarePants before we get to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, then the movie game, and then we're going to recover SpongeBob SquarePants movie rehydrated before we take... A, a nice long look uh, at the work of Steven Hillenburg and what he left behind with these first three seasons. And then what we have in the future of SpongeBob SquarePants. Where does season four take us? Because I'll tell you, I don't remember a whole lot of season four. Have I repressed some of these traumatic memories of SpongeBob? I'm, I'm, I'm joking with you. I like actually a decent amount of season four. Um, and it's going to be exciting to get into that just as it's going to be exciting to get into every single season of SpongeBob SquarePants, regardless on what anyone's opinion of it is. SpongeBob's here to, to entertain us and I'm trying my best to entertain you. So hopefully you find yourself entertained. And with that, that's our time together aboard. Thank you for being part of the ready crew. You can reach Captain Eric at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at Spongebob Podcast. Please check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping every Sunday. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also hit that bell for notifications whenever the captain puts something out. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects go directly back into my projects, and it is always appreciated. I love you guys, and as always, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Squarecast.